Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about estate planning. We're your hosts, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Great. And today we have a special guest, and that is Rick Randall. He's the founder of Randall, Gentry, and Pike, and the chairman and CEO of the National Network of Estate Planning Attorneys. Welcome, Rick. Thank you. So Rick Randall is an innovative leader in the wealth reception planning movement. He develops and teaches concepts, tools, and systems designed to help client families and professional advisors create, appreciate, and enjoy true wealth, both the financial and the non-financial aspects, and to assure that true wealth is efficiently transferred and effectively received. His, His firm is widely known for helping clients create plans that work through personalized counseling, a formal updating program, and proactive settlement training. He's also one of the founding members of the National Network of Estate Planning Attorneys, and Rick served as its first education director, later as its executive director, and now he serves as its chairman and CEO. He actively practices law in Indianapolis, Indiana. Rick has a passion for legacy planning, the non-financial component of true wealth. He's an ambassador for the Ultimate Gift Experience, a fellow of the Legacy Builder Institute, and a certified legacy planner. So the reason that we've brought Rick Randall onto the show is that we want to help you understand estate planning and how that helps you control, preserve, and protect your wealth, minimizing loss with the most efficient transfer to when you give your money and the rest of your wealth that's not financial to the next generation. Love, Money, and Control shares it like this. With proper planning, you can control your financial and personal affairs while you are well and competent and leave instructions for how your affairs should be managed. In essence, still maintaining control if you become physically or mentally disabled. So it's a critical part of planning for the end of your life, for what you want to happen, and taking care of kids, avoiding probate, minimizing estate taxes. And we're going to help you understand how and why this is important. So what we want to answer for you today during this conversation is why should I do estate planning? How do I get started? What should I expect in that process? What should I know before I get started with estate planning? And what will make my estate plan of the greatest value to me and the generations that follow? So Rick, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation. So tell us a little bit about who you were before you got started in law. Well, I, Rachel, I actually started uh, in the financial planning field, uh, not too dissimilar from what you're doing. I was, uh, during law school, uh, my first position was with an insurance company and I branched from uh, that company to another one so that I could add securities uh, to my practice and uh, do a little bit more holistic planning. And uh, then I was a little bit disappointed. This is all the way back in the 80s. And it's the era of the very fat books with three pages that we had to write out to summarize about 500 pages. So we through numbers at everyone and so forth uh, with what we thought at that point was a true financial plan. And uh, so I went through that. I formed a uh, registered investment advisory firm. And I had by that point graduated from law school and um, 
there were four of us, four partners. Um, and uh, as we divided the work, my part included the estate planning. And we were trying to refer people out as estate planners and uh, as financial planners. And we found that um, either uh, people who we referred to as attorneys, either they wouldn't or couldn't uh, do the type of trust planning that we were suggesting for our clients. And I had a lot of business owner mm -hmm. clients and they uh, would say, well, you know, if you were any good, you would do the planning yourself. You have a law degree. So under pressure from the clients, I spun off and started uh, my law practice. I ran into the national network, which was at the time doing um, a lot of the basic training on living trust that still to this day is not available in law schools. And so I kind of rode the wave of the earliest um, part of the living, and that's how I got to where I am today. That's awesome. So how did you then found Randall Gentry and Pike? Was that when you first started in law? Uh, yes. Originally, it was Randall Law Offices, and, and it was just me and one assistant. And um, we started doing estate planning workshops for the public. And um, we ended up with a, a very large clientele very quickly. And that kind of affected how uh, I did my planning. We were writing a lot of documents. Um, and it wasn't real satisfying because the um, we didn't have enough time with the people. and We couldn't find their hopes, fears, dreams, and aspirations like I wanted to. We'd get the documents out. They were happy enough, but we knew that we could do more. And so eventually, over time, we developed this three-step strategy that you summarized with counseling, updating, and training people about what happens during a disability or a death in advance. And over the years then, in recent years, I have two millennial partners, Greg Gentry and and uh, Whitley Pike. Greg focuses on business owner planning, which is important for your audience, mm -hmm. and Whitley on proactive elder law, a little bit different approach to um, working with people as they age. So pretty balanced state planning, business planning, and elder law firm by now. Awesome. So let's jump right into the main question that is on everyone's mind as we're bringing this podcast to the forefront. So what happens if I don't have an estate plan as probably about 60 or 70% of people don't have one? What does that look like? What's that process? And why do we not want to be in that position? Well, the, the biggest problem is that you lose control. Um, and so you end up with um, a, a plan that the state has for you. Uh, you leave behind a large mess for the people that you care about. Um, and uh, so it affects other people for sure because there's a 100% death rate still in the United States. <laughs> so, oh, that's going to happen. And uh, the paperwork snarls and getting people authority, particularly for a business owner, to access accounts and to continue to run the business the probate process does not work well with that. When you don't have an estate plan, someone has to go to court to get authority to manage assets for you. So that's the major impact. There are a lot of missed opportunities, but that's the major impact on those around you. If you have a disability before the death, uh, in some respects it's even worse because that affects you. And so in that case, all the assets that you built up are at risk. And most people don't uh, have a very good plan for, they have opinions how they would be cared for. So if you don't do estate planning, which includes long-term care planning, um, then uh, it's dip more difficult on the family and it's much less effective for you. So uh, you want to do that planning to grab control and uh, 
get everything handled that you can so that you either don't go to the nursing home or you go in the right way and, and get decisions made, keep your own dignity and your own control, uh, and then make it easier for those that come after you rather than them inheriting a heartache. Hey, Rick, the um, one thing that I hear, I hear an estate planning attorney I work with here in St. Louis say very often is um, you do have an estate plan and it just happens to be uh, governed by the state of Missouri. And, That's right. Yeah. And a lot of people, they think that their wishes when they don't have a plan are going to be carried through. And uh, only if if uh, if there's no contested contesting of it. And in some case, I guess, uh, states that, that that's not even true. And um, what I, I, I'd like to uh, for the audience, because we do have people from all over the United States. Sure. Uh, what is kind of consistent throughout all the states? And are there any states that have special um, things that you have to consider off the top of your head. You know, which states are those? I know Louisiana has some uh, very odd uh, estate laws from the old, uh, I guess, the old French laws. So anything yes. that you can comment on that? Yeah, a couple things, uh, Bruce. And you're right. The the way this um, is set up, again, with no plan, as Rachel mentioned, you're going to end up with the state statute controlling how things are distributed. And just real quickly, they don't all match, but, but they're fairly consistent in that uh, I would make this statement pretty comfortably, uh, Bruce, that they don't do what you would think it would do. Right. For example, it divides the estate uh, differently. You'd think everything would just go to the spouse. So if you have spouse and kids, that's not the case in most states. Uh, it gets divided. Um, and most people wouldn't divide it first. And then there's limits on if it's especially a second marriage. If you haven't done planning by that point, almost no one is going to do what the state statute would say. And that goes for all states. Um, differences in the states, a couple of different things around the country. You mentioned one. Louisiana is the only state that is uh, And because of that, all the rest are based on English common law. And that's where trusts come from. Uh, and so our understanding of what a trust is, whether it's part of a will or a standalone living trust, that all comes out of the English common law. The, the French have a different way of doing it. So in Louisiana, it's very different and very few um, outsiders, if you will. You really have to work and plan there only. And it's not transportable to the other states well either. Right. Second, one more thing, and that would be the, the idea of community property. Um, there are uh, nine traditional community property states, and then Arizona, and then um, Alaska and Tennessee allow you to opt into that. And that's a, a state law where everything is presumed to be 50-50, no matter what title you put on it. All the other states, what controls is the names that you put on the things that you own. And so for about 40 states, there's a real common common law, but the others have variations and they kind of force you into a box, a 50-50 box if you're married. And that is perfectly fine for some, but uh, not for others. So that, those would be two big variations, uh, Bruce, I'd mentioned. Great. I think that's yeah, very helpful. Yeah, thank hel you for sharing that. Yeah, I think it's it's helpful for listeners to know that uh, it is it is state by state, even though there's some commonality amongst the states. So, yeah. and I actually have another question that I think our listeners would really benefit from. So, you mentioned trust and you mentioned estate plan. So just for the benefit of our listeners and just for complete clarity, what is an estate plan and what is a trust and how do they work together and what parts do they 
what's different and what how do they work together? Well, I would use the term Rachel estate plan to be the overall planning that a client is doing and the the trust or the will um, and there are different variations. We might get into that a little bit, but those are all the documents that implement them. So the estate plan is what your goals are and your hopes and fears and dreams and aspirations, what you want to accomplish. Um, and then the way that it's implemented is through documentation, but very importantly, through conversation with the families. And that's the part that skips so much. It's such a, uh, a morbid and, and taboo subject that people don't really know much about family wealth in many families. Um, they don't know, they're not trained ahead of time, and so they're left with, um, uh, this is what we call wealth reception planning, they're left with very little guidance. So I think an estate plan to me would be your overall uh, accomplish uh, and for others, and then how you would like things handled for yourself in the event of a disability, so that things would continue on the way you would have done it if you could have done it yourself. Um, the trust and the will are both just documents um, and a, a will takes effect on death. Um, it is uh, very often that they're teamed together where there is a trust under a will. Um, and it's easy for clients actually, we make it real complicated as attorneys. Um, but uh, if you put a trust under a will, uh, I think everybody knows if we were in a, a little workshop together, I'd say the formal name for a will is last will and, and everybody would answer testament. Yep. Mm -hmm. So a trust under a will is called a testamentary trust. And the, upper, the other kind is a living trust. And what trusts are is just I make up the rules and I appoint someone else to implement it for me. They're called trustees. And the difference between will-based planning and trust-based planning is a will really is designed just to transfer property at death where the trust can hold assets and implement instructions for a much longer time. So I think the decision is more do you put the trust under a will which is controlled by the probate process or do you make it a standalone living trust and that's what most people today are opting for uh, is better control and not having the supervision and the rules and the paperwork of a court system. Nice. Okay. So living trust being that's holding assets during life and giving instructions, and it can be a much longer time frame than just the will. Correct. So that brings up another question that I think is really at the forefront of anyone's mind who's in this conversation or looking for answers. Isn't an, an estate plan or trust, there's this myth that that's just for the rich. So can you, we know that you say trusts are for everyone and we believe that everyone wants to have, needs to have some type of planning that will help them carry out their wishes into the future. So what is the purpose of estate planning and how, how do we determine who it's for? Well, it's, so let's take uh, uh, different age groups. I think it's for everybody and, and um, we've, in, in talking with uh, financial advisors and trying to change the conversation a little bit. Um, with folks like you and Bruce, what we stress is we all have clients of different sizes, uh, different issues that they're concerned about. Um, uh, so, for instance, a business owner might be more interested in asset protection than uh, a person that is a corporate employee. That corporate employee wants to handle retirement plans where they do most of their savings. A young client has young kids. They may have very little 
uh, in assets. Um, and the second that, that you guys do your stuff by getting them properly insured, upon their death, the the right amount of insurance is going to make them a larger client anyway. Right. They don't realize it. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't feel that way. But that's going to turn them into significant assets with minor kids. And those people cannot own property. So you needed a trust. Even if you were using a will, you've got to have a trust to to space out the distributions to the kids, to uh, what we like to do is put the formal instructions inside it. So an older person is more uh, interested in the elder law part, uh, avoiding uh, Medicaid spend down, where Medicaid forces you to spend everything virtually before you can get any help from the government. Big myth is that Medicare will cover that. It's actually Medicaid where you have to strip yourselves of assets. Um, and so that's more of a, uh, a welfare or needs-based program. And so the, the planning that is done for very large estates and very small estates is different, but the one common denominator they have is the tool of choice is almost always a trust. And that's why we say trusts are for everyone. That's excellent. And I just wanted to clarify something and, and um, just reframe that a little bit. So if you did have life insurance and you passed away and that was going to your minor children, they are not able to receive that. They're not 18 yet. And so what um, what Rick is talking about is being able to have a trust in order to hold the death benefits that are paid out until the children are of the age to receive it. And then I know that there's trustees and guardianship with that as well that we'll probably get into. But um, thank you for bringing that to the forefront here. So you say also, Rick, that typical estate planning has very little chance of actually working why is that? Yeah, and and uh, there are a number of reasons. The easiest one is uh, the living trust planning. So I mentioned a lot of people go to that so that they can maintain control. But the, the first thing is you have to do two things to get a trust-based plan to work. You have to do a great set of instructions, and there's a lot of reasons there why plans fail, is people will accept things off the shelf. Um, and you, you would expect me to, uh, because I'm an attorney, to blast something like LegalZoom or those kinds of things. I get a, a chuckle out of this that some of the fellow attorneys are, this is a you know a threat to society, like the very fabric of society is going to fall apart because of LegalZoom. Um, and, you know, and so it's, it's fine that you could do that. I'm more concerned if you go to an attorney and they give you just a standard off-the-shelf set of documents. And from one couple to the next, to the next, to the next, it's exactly the same. There's no you reflected in that plan. So that's one of the big things in the instructions. So you're basically saying it's not individualized and there's no instructions with it. It's just the basic components that are the legally generic. Yep. The generic legalese, just the steps and there's no training. So I don't understand how to use it anyway. Um, and so that's in the design of the plan. So the instructions are almost never consistent with what people think. Uh, they just don't associate. They don't realize they can do so much more if they would get uh, a good counseling and design. The other thing that's the quick one um, is I teach around the country. I ask financial advisors who know because you own uh, you you fill out the paperwork and and as clients we own assets and so at the uh, at the financial institution there's a title on the property if you have a trust but the title on your property in your account is your own name or joint name with the spouse 
that trust does not control the property in the first place. So you have a maybe a, a good document, unfortunately, usually not a great document, very standard, and then you don't coordinate your assets with it. You have to do both, and so you want to be working with someone that will help to coordinate those, and that's a good law firm, and it's also a good financial firm because, again, most assets are uh, invested with the uh, the folks who are, are working in the insurance field and in the in the uh, investment field and so forth, and so we've got to get that paperwork coordinated. So a, a law firm that just really is worse than LegalZoom in some ways in that you get the standard document at a higher price and it still doesn't work. Yeah, Rick. Uh, um, Rick, this is a, this is a, a really important point. We actually separated from a law firm about ten years ago. Because um, two two clients came back to us furious because the uh, the documents had their names on the front, but then throughout the document was somebody else's name, and so it was very obvious they were just cutting and pasting, and and obviously they were not very happy about it. And this happened twice within a uh, a two week period, so we separated. From and and you're absolutely right. All that was mm-hmm. is this legal zoom without the. Uh, with a, with a much greater price. The other thing, the other yep. thing is I, one of the reasons I like working with the law firm that we do here in St. Louis is they actually retitle your home deed uh, into the trust themselves. They do, they don't rely on the, the client to actually do it. And I don't know if that's common throughout the country, but it seems to uh, not be common in the St. Louis area, which is a very great value add for our clients, because that's that's a much more difficult thing to do. We can change the beneficiary on a life insurance policy or on an investment uh, portfolio, but the deed is a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and I think most people stop. I would say, Bruce, it is uh, it is uncommon. It should be mm-hmm. the norm, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's uncommon that the law firm follows it up. More common is we give a stack of papers from a law firm that says, now you know that this won't work unless you change all the assets. And here's the ABCs that we call funding, uh, putting something into the name of the trust. And they'll give them a stack of papers that says, here's letters to send, or here's what you need to do. And we know full well that the vast majority of clients, and particularly business owner clients, we're just too busy running the business to do it. It's not a matter of intelligence or I didn't understand enough to do it. It's that no one will carve out the time. So that was the central part of our uh, our thought process in doing the maintenance program. It's like a checkup on a regular basis. And it's not just the legal document that needs to be updated, which it does, but also you got to double check with the uh, assets to make sure that the new things that we own, if we change investments around, move things around, that first month, so we get that task done, and, and the better firms like the one that sounds like you're working with now, Bruce, will follow up. And not just on the deeds, so obviously you do need a law firm typically to do that, but also on the financials. So what we do is what's called a red check review. Bruce or Rachel or whoever the financial advisor is would physically do the papers, but we want to see them, Bruce. So we check off that yes. it's been done, and we do a list just like you guys do a list. And they better match. And if they don't, then that's the whole idea of being proactive is that we right. we adjust through the years to make sure that everything's still in place. And, Rachel, that goes back to why most of the plans don't work. 
they're normally not set up right at the beginning because they're not coordinated, the documents and the assets. The advisor and the attorney, in fact, as you guys know, almost never even talk. Mm-hmm. They don't even know each other. So then in, on the off chance that it started out coordinated, then uh, it comes undone, if you will, through changes uh, throughout lifetime. So we came up with that review on the assets. It made sense to people to review the documents. But the surprise was we would be able then to be in touch again. And so we just continue to educate first the client and also then the client's family so that they're better ready to implement the plan as typically trustees. Most of the people are naming family member trustees. And then as beneficiaries when they receive the wealth to know what to do with it. That's great. So I'm hearing a lot of different elements that you're kind of working into that. And I, I want to work that into the, into the next question. So you're, you have a mission to transform the way that America plans. And I saw somewhere, it might have been on your LinkedIn profile or one of the one of the documents or one of the web pages that talked about your business was that you have an unreasonable commitment to co-creating estate plans that work. And I just, I really love that. And I'm hearing a lot of things that you shared in this process that one, you're tailoring it very specifically to that client's needs and wants and aspirations. You're making sure the assets are coordinated. You are working with the advisor to make sure that that conversation is connected and all of that documents or the assets are titled correctly. I'm also hearing that you are following up throughout the years to make sure that you're tracking any changes and then that education is a really important part of the process, not only at the beginning, but throughout the process with you. Would you say all of those are a piece of creating estate plans that work? Yes, I think all of those are. And um, the little phrase, it's it's on our stationery is where you would have seen it, Rachel. It's an unreasonable commitment. So the first part of that comes from uh, George Bernard Shaw quote, which is the reasonable man uh, adapts himself to the world uh, the unreasonable man attempts to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. So if you can, oh, I love so that. If you can get past the, uh, the uh, sexist, I assume that would apply equally to women. But uh, Absolutely. You know, it's a, an old quote, so you got to forgive him. Uh, and so, <laughs> but that's where we got the unreasonable commitment is that we're trying to change the way planning was done. And the co-creating part is exactly what you just said is, that it's not that static document. Uh, Bruce, the way we phrase what you talked about is if you took the, the two front pages off uh, and the signature pages off, the, you know, the front and the back, uh, you couldn't tell people's plans apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the idea is that the names be in there, that there be as much instructions as the clients are willing to do. And it's doable. The classified trade secret has always been this, and clients just laugh at it, and we ask in the form of a question, did you know that attorneys have computers? <laughs> and, you know, and everybody laughs. And it's like, so what's this deal with LegalZoom? Well, you can go on and enter in your own data like TurboTax or even now robo-advisors. But you don't have the help. We're supposed to provide wisdom and counseling. And so that's what it's about. So we have the computer. What we do is use it to create checklists. So we asked the clients, um, how many of you agree with this statement? It's easier to edit than it is to create. And everybody says, oh, that, that makes sense. So, you know, if we told you, Rachel, here's a blank sheet of paper and you can put anything you want in your plan, then, you know, it's like writer's block, you know, 
sweat out of mm-hmm. our foreheads. I, yeah, I don't even know where, where to start. We put a checklist in front of you. You could check this box. I like this one. I don't like that one. And here's the big kicker. The clients ask it this way, very tentative. Could we, you know, I like some of this, put those together, you know, and well, here's the response. Let me think about, it. let's see, have you ever heard of cut and paste? And and so they say, yes. So, yeah. And then what happens with it? That's the worst thing is you make us do a little bit of extra word processing. And then Bruce comes in as the next client and Bruce, her solution is on there. You know, names removed. But the checklist Mm -hmm. is better and better. And Mm -hmm. what we do in the national network is share those checklists so that several hundred attorneys can um, share the wisdom of a lot of clients. And by having this ongoing revisit that we do, um, Rachel, then you're able to look at the checklist and see if it makes sense. Um, So there's minor children checklist. One of the most heavily used is a healthcare checklist. And as people age, that becomes more and more relevant. And then there's one about pre-planning your your affairs at death and those kinds of things. And so if you, uh, it is, we kind of stumbled into this, but over the years it's worked very well that if we interrupt people's lives and we make an agreement that we will at least once a year sit down and do what you folks would call a review, we do it in a group. It's less threatening. It's less, I've got to, think all about just my death and we kind of make it a little event, a little bit of fun happens there as well. Then they, they keep us current. We keep them current. It's worked really well. That's great. And what I really like about that is when we focus on things that maybe we wouldn't like to talk about and think about, it actually eases the stress of that. I mean, I think most people probably have a lot of unknown about the future. And as there's not a plan in place, there's more tension and anxiety that is beneath the surface. But when we do actively, proactively plan, and we're talking with our spouse about it, we're talking with the family members, we're talking with the attorney and the financial planners, when we're in that position, there's just a lot more clarity. And then everybody can be able to move forward effectively. I agree. And let me give you a couple quick things about that. One of the things um, that that uh, that I've learned is that the attorneys, especially the word processing attorneys Bruce was talking about, they run from the conflict, which is really what the plan is about, is settling disputes in advance, avoiding them happening in the first place, that kind of thing. So one of the things for young parents is the selection of the guardian. And so discussion, I, I have worked with a lot of engineers and they reduce everything to a formula. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, what is the chance of me dying and my spouse dying both? Uh, so I have to have a guardian. Pretty small, you know, very small. It's, it's on zero, but it's pretty small. What is the chance of having an argument with my spouse if we try to name the guardian? Very high. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think I won't be doing that planning now. So... Uh, the better practice is going to sit down and work through what the issues are. Because the normal, you're left on your own. This is where you find out, you know, you don't like my sister and I don't like your brother and uh, the parents are too old and everybody's upset. And so they just don't do planning. That's one of the reasons. And and the stats that I've seen, Rachel, match yours, that it's close to 70% that don't have any planning. And so that. That's one way if you'll actually sit with people and work through how folks have put a plan together, it's very doable. And that's on the side that you wouldn't expect, which is the younger side. So 
we call it next-gen estate planning, trying to make sure that we start with the younger generation and not wait until you have, uh, in quotes now, a lot of money, that rich person myth that you talked about. And just learn on the way up. It's pretty easy to keep things current and to learn so that you never get into the big messes that uh, what estate planning used to be about. You know, Rick, we actually have a uh, family psychologist on staff here in St. Louis, and his job is to actually go in with the families before we start talking about estate planning and uh, without an advisor or attorney around and just start to get a feel about what the um, what they are actually thinking about as far as not only leaving their money, but what they would like this money to represent to the to the uh, to the heirs. Uh, an example, I you know, some people say I want to leave money to my uh, grandchildren for college funds. And then, you know, they, he, he gets to talking about well, what what if they don't want to go to college? Well, that's a that's a um, that's a burr under some people's saddle. You know, I'll be dang. My kids are going to go to college or my grandkids are going to go to college. Right. And then and then the mother might say or the grandmother might say, now, come on, you know, grandfather, you know, if they don't want to go to college, they don't want to go to college. That doesn't mean we're going to kick kick them out of the will. And those can be very contentious times. Um, And so we've actually employed a a family um, counselor to help us in this process because it can get very contentious at times. Have you ever had any experience with another firm doing that? Uh, Yes, it's unusual, though. Um, and better. And so it, and I would say, Bruce, one of the things is when you work with business owners, it's going to be more important because you have the similar with farmers, but also with business owners. So farms, just a a particular type, but you know, you're going to have kids that want to be in the business and kids that don't want families where nobody wants it. We'll just, we'll take the cash. Thank you very much. Uh, Right. You know, and there's, there's nothing so uh, unfair as treating equals um, uh, uh, unequals as equals. So what right. is fairness, uh, not equality. And uh, often uh, having that um, that type of uh, uh, professional assistance is really helpful. Now, the lower the value of the estate, back to your rich question, what I found, Bruce, is the stereotype of that is, well, that must be really, really expensive, and I must have to be just falling down rich. And you guys will get a kick out of that. My experience in 30 years is the definition of rich is more than I have. Uh, you know, <laughs> absolutely. My biggest client came up to me and and at one of the programs and says, "Now, what do your uh, what do your rich clients do?" And you know, I just blinked at him and I said, "I don't have any that are any richer than you. What does that mean?" Um, so if if you can employ a professional like you have and bring them in, that is awesome. Um, and if not, then you get, as we get down to uh, a, a maybe a lesser where we don't have the fee to pay extra, the training that, you know, the three of us would have. And so we're, we're amateurs, but we use the, the, um, the learning that we've had sitting with the real professionals. And absolutely. You know, yes. And, and the right people do the reading and the continuing education and the the uh, the guests that you have on the podcast and all of that, you become more and more valuable. So the big challenge has been for in quotes now regular people. How do you introduce so, um, uh, Rachel? We we use a system called Time to Think, um, which is a, a consultant who um, 
named Nancy Klein, who wrote a book by that name. And she create, helps us create what we call a thinking environment. And an advisor can do that. An attorney can do that. An accountant could do that. Most of us won't. Um, but it really is a place, what we're trying to do is create a safe place so they can really design their own plan. And uh, one more barrier, uh, Rachel, I'll work in before we go on, is the clients sometimes don't have really high goals for this to start with. They don't realize they can do a lot. And they just think it's too hard. And um, so we, when we started saying we want to transfer your wisdom along with the rest of your wealth, um, and so make sure you heard the, the phrasing there. It's part of your wealth. That's the true wealth part. The uh, first time I used it with a client group, it was real silent. One guy sitting up front finally says, wisdom. And he looked at everybody and kind of looked around the room. He goes, we don't have any of that. <laughs> you know, and and you don't think of that. It's the same thing about riches more than I have. So they do have, uh, you know, they've lived their lives. And business owners in particular have had all kinds of things happen to them. In oh, tremendous. Yeah. They've had a lot of learning throughout their life. And I think a lot of times we don't conceptualize, hey, this is wisdom that can really yep. give leverage or a foot up to the next generation. Yep. And so asset protection, for example, or divorces could happen. And um, what, what do we do with that? Remarriages can occur. Uh, illnesses can happen. And they've seen their family members go through it. And, and then with a business owner, one of the things is you come into contact with so many people that you, some of your clients or customers have had this problem. And so they're, they're really a repository. I agree, Rachel, for lots of wisdom. But then they're so busy, they don't get that into their own plan. It's in them. So whether, Bruce, we use somebody to pull it out that's a real dedicated professional or we just try to do our best, it's far better than not even approaching it, which is the norm. For the 30% that have a plan at all, probably 90% of those just have the, the uh, word processing documentation. Yeah, I know, when, I know when I sit down with the clients, I often say I don't have all the answers, but I have... Uh, the experience of forty five client forty five hundred client meetings, and yep. and I say to them now here is here are people that I know in your exact situation or similar situation, and these are the things that were they were worried about. Are you worried about these things also? And I think that's kind of similar to what you were talking about. It's easier to edit a document yep. than to create a document. So if you're if you're if you're taking those client experiences from one client and transferring them to another client obviously without using right. names or, or situations. But it, it does help the client along to see, yes, the, the, there are other people in my situation, and I probably should have better planning going on because other people are planning uh, also. Because I do see clients that think, well, uh, I don't know of anybody that, that actually has a trust, so why would I need a trust? It, it, I think it comes back to that I'm not rich enough to have a trust right. again. I agree with all that. Absolutely. And go yes. ahead. Go ahead, Bruce. So, so, so when we're looking at our business owners, um, what, what are some of the specific asset protection and legacy planning concerns for just business owners? Um, maybe the one or two things that you come across and you think are very important. Well, I think the, the business succession is, is the big thing. Um, one of the and that's where you would have the uh, the outside professionals. That is a big project. Uh, people really underestimate, in my experience, how difficult that is. Um, and somehow they just assume, well, the business will transfer over, and then you find out people didn't want it or had a very different vision for it, 
or we're only willing to pay a much different price. Um, and, and if you're bringing an internal successor, it takes much longer than most people realize to get them ready. Uh, a multi-year process, not just a, here, I'll take out like they do with the knights, you know, and take the sword, and you're now my successor. Um, uh, so I think that's one of the big things, Bruce. Um, uh, another is for uh, business owners, the, the disability is normally disregarded. So many business owners are are really alive people because they are so passionate about what mm -hmm. they do. And so many of them have no concept of retirement. Retirement is a, a very negative thing to us um, by and large, an asset out of service. So we have the same perspective on that. So yes. And so they're, they're going to be dying the saddle type of people love what they do right to the end. But they typically, uh, I think to answer your question, Bruce, they underestimate what if it's involuntary and there's a stroke or a heart attack. And that does happen to a lot of business owners, the heart attack in particular. Yes. And so now they don't have a plan in place. And so I think those would be two of the things. I know your question was probably more about the tools and things. So a trust can provide creditor protection. Um, there are things that you can do to keep uh, things safer. Business entity planning is very important. That's what my partner Greg does a lot of. Um, but the, the part that's for all, all humans would be to handle that disability and to handle the succession because it's a lot more nuanced than, than what I would think about. And so that's why retreats sprang up so you could get people away from the business, away from the phone and just sit for a lot of them. That's torture. Um, you know, let me get back and answer the email or, or return the phone calls. Uh, you know, but, uh, that's mm -hmm. one of the things that, uh, if we can make it a little bit, um, less that it's not a full day, work things in better. And, and I know the three of us have had to do that. Um, we recognize how busy people are, but you've got to have some time to actually reflect. How are we going to do that together? That's great. So we're, so we're, um, Rachel and I are involved with the prosperity yes. economics movement. Um, so specifically, how are you seeing the prosperity economics movement, uh, which I know you're, you're a part of and integrate some estate planning with that? How, how is that going to be helping, uh, people in the United States with this, uh, estate planning? Well, I think the first thing is if you understand, um, the concept of infinite banking, you know that we're focused more on building the financial part rather than the death benefit part um, uh, of the planning. I'm speaking now specifically mm -hmm. with the insurance. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that has been difficult in the prosperity economics movement for the advisors is to find an attorney who is not knee-jerk. Um, life insurance is in the estate, so we have to do a trust called a life insurance trust. Um, and so for years, that's been their, their go-to tool. But when you do that, you can't access the cash. So there's some right. uh, specialized uh, documentation. It works best with a married couple, but it's called a spousal lifetime access trust. And uh, you, hopefully you notice the first time I've gone to a document answer, and it's because it's like a complete unknown. And so... Uh, you can keep things so that the insurance is asset protected, which very, you asked me earlier, Bruce, differences in states. Uh, 
the amount of protection right. life insurance gets is very different from state to state uh, during lifetime. And so if we're going to use that to build up um, our own personal bank, it makes sense to have that bank asset protected. And so a uh, spousal lifetime access trust can be drafted where the wife can access the money in the husband's policies and vice versa. So that works pretty well. I think that's probably uh, uh, similar to in, here in Missouri. We have the qualified spousal trust. Yes, it sounds like it'll be the same. The yeah. same thing. Yep, and it's it's just not in the mainstream of the legal field, and that's one of the things I think with prosperity economics that we need to do. The other, of course, is the broader <coughs> um, keeping control of your own money, and I think it relates really well to business owners in particular, uh, rather than try to put things in the stock market. And and uh, have all of those returns uh, highlighted. Uh, most really good business owners can get a better rate of return doing what they do. Um, mm-hmm. And so having the having the infinite bank, so the family bank can pay for expansion and can cover shortfalls and things like that. I think makes a lot of sense. And so um, doing some of the alternative investments, um, I, I think is. Uh, is uh, similar to when we are trying to transform the way America plans. That's the way I see the the prosperity economics movement is think about the assumptions that we're making. And um, and so a, a lot of this, people just are told you should do it this way and have always been told that. And it's uh, in many cases just not so. So I think um, that's what's attracted me, Bruce, to this from the financial side. And then what we're trying to do is add that if you use certain tools and those kinds of things, here's how you would integrate that with your estate plan. So um, I, I love the word control. We use it all the time. I, I actually like to use stories with, with clients, especially business clients. And I say, if you had $100,000 and you put it in the stock market, what would you expect the rate of return to be? And I've heard as little as 5% and I've heard as little or as high as 10%. Then I asked the same client 30 seconds later, if I gave you $100,000 to put into your business, what would you expect your business to grow at what rate? And inevitably, they, they say 15, 20, 25%. And I try to let them that sink in with them for a while, and, and they don't get it. They, they, they don't realize what they're saying is contradictory to right. what they're actually getting. And And... And then, uh, so then we design the infinite banking uh, policies. We call them specially designed insurance contracts um, because we are designing them to utilize uh, for their business or for their life, not not to accumulate. Because uh, some people still use, and I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with using them as accumulation, but you have to know the you have to actually have to know the the setback for this. And making sure that they are part of your estate plan. See, that's where that's where Nelson. I've I've had I've had breakfast and lunch and many occasions with Nelson Nash, and that would be the one thing that I do think I would like to prosperity economic uh, movement people to realize is we often discount the death benefit, and Nelson yeah. that drives Nelson crazy because the death benefit is still there. It's still very important not only for estate planning. Uh, in business owners for buy sell agreement for key man insurance. I mean, it's really it's really it's a, a, a tremendous tool to get one dollar to do multiple things, which in, which includes not only your your cash flow, your control, 
your uh, your long term growth, but also your estate plan. I agree, and that leverage with the dollars, uh, as as you guys know, one of the things that um, not at all in the legal mainstream, and so and uh, and so it's something that uh, that I have felt we needed to know more about is that that uh, newly designed, uh, at least it's new to me. So um, where you can mm-hmm. also have the leverage for the long types of policies. So. You can you can buy multiple policies and have them do multiple jobs with one dollar, and so um, a lot of the prosperity economics people have been trying to teach me about that kind of a format. Um, so for us, it's a matter more of the title and what kind of vehicle does it go in, so that the the benefits of the design of whatever the the uh, financial plan is are realized. And they're coordinated with that whole set of instructions right. that was our definition that Rachel started with. Mm-hmm. I love that you brought that to the forefront as well, because even just if you look at a typical life insurance policy, yes, you have the cash value, but that's accessible by the person who is the policy owner. And then if we have um, we we have the death benefit that typically would go to the spouse. And so we want to make sure that that is all accessible in the event that we're not there to use it. So... There is so many more questions that we would like to ask you as we're going through this process. I think this is really valuable for us and for our listeners. But I want to ask you uh, kind of a couple of questions in wrapping up. So I know you're involved with the National Network of Estate Planning Attorneys. How does that help to support other attorneys in their practice? And how are you connected with that? Well, uh, we mentioned at the beginning that, uh, how I kind of grew through that. I in- actually ended up being the owner eventually, That's great, um, Rachel. And so what... What we do is this three-step strategy, and so we train attorneys. And what we found, and I, I think um, you know, Bruce has given a little bit of his background with finding the right kind of law firm that you probably had to go through a number, Bruce, before you could get. Yes, yes, we did. Yes, we did, Rick. So what we found is it's actually better to take somebody who's transitioning into estate planning, uh, Rachel, that doesn't have anything that we mm-hmm. need to unlearn kind of bring in of why we should all be team players. That's not a natural thing for an attorney. Um, what kinds of things um, do we need to do? So we teach the three-step strategy that we've covered here. And a lot of times the advisors will refer attorneys. Um, uh, m- some of my favorites are when clients uh, have someone that they like. Uh, and so it's more the personal side and the, you know, the almost all attorneys are intelligent. They, they may not have common sense, but... Uh, but you actually, you can walk through somebody that has a good heart is what you can't teach. If they've got a good heart, uh, the network can teach this model. And um, it's about a two uh, to get them up to speed. And that allows us to have kind of uh, uh, old, now non-PC saying boots on the ground. So you've got somebody right there. Bruce has mentioned St. Louis, here's the firm. A lot of places, Bruce, there just isn't anyone that they can find. So through this prosperity economic we, uh, uh, movement, we kind of dragged in, got dragged into doing more over the computer like we're doing today and working with clients that way. And so the network has little pockets, Rachel, where we're strong physically and uh, with a lot of good members. And then it has others where we're not. And we try to work with the advisors there and uh, either have the advisors help us find a local attorney or we actually will work. Uh, think of it as um, we call it e-planning. But it's basically legal Zoom, except with the attorney, and we use video conference to go back and forth. Um, so that's 
what a lot of the, the people are doing. And that certainly is necessary for the training. All the national network firms do the family training, um, and that has to be on Zoom because you're not, you know, today everybody's scattered. So you name your son and daughter as trustees, but they live in two different states from you as mm-hmm. the original client. So um, that's in those ways, the network and that basic training um, is really contributing to this transforming the way America plans uh, mission that we have. I love it. And I love that because of the technical capabilities of video conference, we don't have to be limited to a specific location. And so we are able to have those conversations with an attorney in one state and family members and others. And with Bruce and I across two different states as well, it's, it's a really powerful way to be able to make sure that what you want to happen in your life happens. So kind of in conclusion, then, if you as a listener are in this position of saying, wow, this is a lot to think about, I had not process through lots of these questions. Maybe I haven't asked myself or I haven't talked with my family about what I would like to implement. Maybe I don't even know what questions to ask. Maybe there's wisdom that I want to pass on or there's financial, there's a financial estate that I'm not sure exactly what would happen with, or I have children that I want to take care of, or there's special needs in the family, or maybe there's charitable contributions, or there's a business you want to make sure you're planning for that, or there's retirement assets, there's end of life planning. There's just so many different pieces that you say, I have goals and aspirations. I have a vision for my life and what I want to create, but I want to make sure that that does continue beyond me in this legacy. Maybe you're in the position of saying that right now, and you really want to be able to find a way to move forward. And so one way is to reach out to us at The Money Advantage and email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. We can connect with you, walk you through a financial picture consultation on that financial side, really begin to help you work through how to discover what of your assets are going in and out of your control and strategize ways to have more of them in your control, have more money to retain and utilize, more to pass on to future generations. And a lot of that process then is connecting you with the right advisors that will help you implement pieces of that. So we've talked about tax planning. Now we've talked about estate planning. And those are pieces that come together as part of that consultation in working with us at The Money Advantage. Now, you also could reach out directly to Rick at his business, and he's with Randall, Gentry, and Pike. Um, But I want to ask you, Rick, what's the best way for somebody to directly connect straight with you if they did want to talk with you and your team probably about financial plan or about estate planning? The best way, there's uh, the most frequent is to go through the financial advisor because we almost never do a plan without coordinating that way. And there's mm-hmm. many advantages to doing that. But if they're going directly to us, um, I would, I actually would use emails, probably the easiest. And so it's uh, Rick, R-I-C-K at lifespanusa.com. Our website is lifespanusa.com and there's a contact us section to that. And um, if you're interested more in, and and I will be able to connect you, we're small enough that I can connect you to attorneys in your own area if a listener needs that. Uh, That's NEPA, N-N-E-P-A.com. And so, but I normally uh, make a call anyway, Rachel, and talk about our colleague in Timbuktu and tell them, you know, a little bit about what uh, what they're like and so forth as well. Uh, so, but I would say the best way would be Rick at LifespanUSA.com and I would get you to Greg, who do, and he's Greg at LifespanUSA.com. He does most of the business planning. So for a lot of your listeners who are business owners, either one of us with an email and that'll start the process. 
That's excellent. And just as our last conclusion question here, so you mentioned this three-step process. Um, just what would a client expect if they did reach out to your office and they said we wanted to move forward, or say we had we had already spoken with them about their financial picture, we've worked them through part of a strategy session with that. Now they're talking with your office. What would they expect once they once they're introduced to you? Well, there's usually a little bit of a podcast, and so we got a lot here to uh, feel like maybe we would know each other a little bit, but there's a little bit more dedicated one. So depending on the firm, uh, financial firm that's working with us, we will send that podcast out um, and uh, give people a little bit of an introduction. The first contact is a little bit of background information, and, um, and then depending on whether we're working closely with the advisor or not, there's a, a goal setting session, if you will, and um, and then we do an exact quote. All of that is at no, uh, you know, no obligation. And then we'll do an exact quote for what would be the project fee to do that. Um, and uh, I've I provided you, Rachel, with what we call the uh, lifespan circle, which will give you the front end is uh, depending on what kind of door you enter, the fees and the updating will vary based on your needs and how involved the um, the advisor is. Um, all plans have to be integrated as we talked about and then there's an updating program um, and that would be covered in this introductory um, description and all clients end up uh, making a commitment to involve the family as soon as possible and so we have a number of programs as people go through life and so this little lifespan circle will give you, it's a nice discussion point. That first meeting kind of walks you around that circle a little bit uh, customized to your own personal situation. Excellent. And we will make sure that that is available to you on the podcast show notes as well. So you'll be able to access that lifespan um, circle that Rick has just mentioned. Well, this was a fabulous conversation today. I hope that it brought a lot of um, questions to your mind. Sometimes more questions are even better than the answers because you have better questions to ask. And I hope this was a great introduction to you about why estate planning is really valuable for you in your family, regardless of where you stand right now in terms of how large your estate is and what, what season of life you're in is definitely something that can help you move forward and maintain control. So I just want to say thank you to you, Rick, for being on the show today. You enjoyed it. Excellent. And thank you also to our listeners. You can email us with any questions or comments at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. And in closing, I want to remind you that success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. To learn how high-performing entrepreneurs 10x or more returns on liquid capital without giving up quick access to cash, go to themoneyadvantage.com forward slash liquid dash capital to get The Unfair Advantage, your 20-minute easy-to-read guide on maximizing your savings. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated, 
nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated, and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.